0: I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm a venture capitalist. And this is Your First Million. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. <laughs> Who knows, maybe during this series you might be there when I reach my first million dollars of personal capital. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Liz Fong Jones, I am honored to have uh, met Liz in the last year or so, and since meeting her, my my life has been brightened. That's for sure. So, Liz, you talk about people who are um, ride or die collaborators. Um, won't let you Won't let you fall. That's what Liz is to me met Liz originally um because she she reached out because she wanted to invest in the the venture fund and studio that I that I managed called Backstage and that was like summer 2018 I think I remember her email was really uh memorable because she said that she wanted to spend her money on things that s- sort of move forward the activism and actions and and dignity for lgbtq folks and especially trans and she thought that backstage through the work that we do the different people that we invest in or educate in some cases or inspire in some cases that that would you know fit her thesis so she became a, an investor like right away. It was so cool and has, has doubled down and tripled down since. And I just really appreciate her. So Liz is a site reliability engineer. You'll hear all about her time at Google until very recently, and now her time at Honeycomb. And when I think about this interview, what I love about it is that it, it is one of the closest to self-made I can think of, and more ways than one not just financially so you'll hear about Liz going from from not having m- many resources to to having millions and and building her way brick by brick with strategy and consistency and her own talents and then gained talents you'll hear that story which is super helpful i think i mean it's it definitely helped me think about strategies and Educated me along the way. But then there's the story of the person. She's one of the most successful trans people in the U.S. by uh, career and by capital. And um, she wants a lot, lot more to follow her. So definitely pay attention if you've ever felt uh, like you weren't living your full life. Because part of Liz's story is about, yes, making the money and and investing and 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 um donating and giving you really great tips about earning money, about saving money, about compounding money, but I think there will be some people either today or in a year or ten years listening to this who will actually. Um, find themselves very inspired, and it, it may just it may just help someone's life who feels like they are not their whole selves, or they're not being seen, or they feel like there is no hope in their current situation and in their current body. And I think Liz is incredibly inspiring when it comes to that because uh, she's just living her full life, her full existence. The full uh, depth and width of her life, which is, is incredibly exciting to me. So let's let's get into it. Let's listen in. I'm fascinated by you. And first, let's do a, a disclosure that you are an investor in the venture capital fund that I manage. And the studio that I co-founded backstage, right? Yep. And you've been an investor, it's been a few months now, so almost a year since you started, right?
1: It's been seven or eight months, yeah, Yeah, coming up on a year. Cool. I think I first got involved in August or September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll
0: we'll get into that. So let's start start a little bit earlier. Um, First of all, say what your occupation is again.
1: Um, So in my day job, I'm a developer advocate. So I teach software engineers how to run software systems better. And I also help the company, the startup that I work at uh, better, make sure that their products are aligned with what the market is expecting. And in my moonlighting job, um, I am a advisor and, and an investor in both uh, in both startups and not, and nonprofits. Um, in general, I kind of aim to put my money where the impact is, rather than necessarily aiming for to make money or not.
0: Right. And what, one of the things I find so fascinating about you is how you invest your money. So I think we should first talk about how you gained, earned, all of that, your money, Uh, and then why you make certain decisions and what you invest in and what the the big picture is, because I think that's really fascinating. So let's start first. You have made your first million because you're on the show, correct? Yep, that's correct. So a lot of people don't like to talk about money. Why is it comfortable for you to talk about it?
1: I think it's important for me to talk about money in order to... Demonstrate to other trans people that you know you can be successful as a trans person, right? And that there is, you know, somewhere in between the uh, Caitlyn Jenner's of the world mm-hmm. and the and the uh, and the tra- trans folks who are scrabbling to make rent, right? Like yeah. that, there's kind of a, a middle ground there.
0: Yeah. And at one point, you told me it was both a, a blessing and a curse that you were one of the most successful trans. Uh, people that you knew, yeah, right, yeah. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, right. Like I wish there were more of us.
0: Right, right. Okay, so how did you get there? Tell us a little how bit did about. I get there? Yeah, because um, I know that you, your story is really cool because it's like a step-by-step guide, basically. There's A lot of hard work. <laughs> I'm not
1: sure it's repeatable, but it's well, being
0: positioned to take advantage of good luck, right? right. So start with just getting into tech. Like what, how was that important to the, the, the larger story?
1: I think it was really important that I had the skills to get into tech from very early on, which was part luck. My family uh, had multiple people who were software engineers in it, so they taught me how to code from a young age. Mm. Um, but it meant that when I started having a falling out with my family, because I'm clear, um, it meant that I had options for earning an income that were more than making minimum wage, that I could get a job working as a systems administrator or as a software developer. And that meant that I could make make and save up enough money in order to be able to survive and, and be able to sock money away.
0: Exactly what type of, let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, I want to start there. What should they, what could they start to learn? What's the, what are the fundamentals and the basics when it gets, to, when it comes to coding and...
1: Yeah, that's a lovely question. And fortunately, I think this is a company you and I have both invested in, a company called Career Karma by Ruben Harris, who has a dedicated program uh, that is kind of 21 days of work that will prepare you to enter a coding bootcamp. And the thing with coding bootcamps that's cool is that some of them will charge you a percentage of your future income. So, you know, you have to have your own living expenses, but you don't necessarily have to fork up a lot of money up front for the school. But instead that you can make this investment in your skills and then pay people back later.
0: Yeah. So career karma gets you ready for that. Yeah. And what kind of age? Uh, so someone's in high school college right now, this is like a really great age for it, even earlier, obviously, but
1: Yeah, definitely. If you're in high school or college, you have a lot more options I would say as far as saying, you know, I want to switch my major to computer science or I want to switch my major to math or physics, right? Like kind of Things that are oriented towards analytical thinking, oriented towards uh, kind of problem solving, mm-hmm. troubleshooting, things like that are very, very helpful when it comes to seeking out a career in, in computer science.
0: Right. So you, you sort of left your family, you left the house, is that?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Um, I wound up having to run away from my abusive family when I was 16. Mm. Yeah. And then where did you go? I stayed with friends for a little while. I stayed with my grandparents for a little while, um, and then I made the very stupid decision to go back to
0: living with my parents. Not a good idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that was like a rough time. I'm, I'm, I'm. Assuming it was a very un- rough time.
1: Yeah, you know, we we talk of. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, reparative therapy as far as LGBT teens are concerned. Or LGB teens are concerned, but not necessarily towards trans teens. Mm -hmm. And, right, like, unfortunately, the reality is that a lot of trans children try to have their parents, uh, you know, stop them from being transgender. It doesn't work, of
0: course, but... Right. So when you had those options, would you say that that kind of saved you, right?
1: It definitely saved me in multiple ways. Um, First of all, that, you know, when I was off living on my own, that I had a bank account, I had money that I was putting in the bank account. I was at that time when I ran away, I had a job. Right. I was I was already working as a as a systems administrator for a uh, for a group of, of math teachers. Wow. So, you know, the, the pay was perhaps less, less than I would have earned as, you know, someone out in the workforce. Yeah. But, you know, I was, I was, I was making like $20 an hour, which is, you know, pretty, pretty good yeah. for 2004.
0: And did you, you had this discipline where you would not overspend, you didn't spend beyond your means and kind of saved? Did you learn that early? I learned
1: that in a couple of ways, some of which were helpful, some of which were harmful in the long term, I'd say, you know, uh, my grandparents were, grew up in the Great Depression, right? Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, they were the, they instilled the kind of, you know, f- use every coupon, right? Like, you know, go, go to the store, shop, you know, 59 cent can of corn, 50, 57 cent can of corn, right? Um, and you know that that was helpful when I was grumping to make to make ends meet, but it was kind of not necessarily that helpful in the long term as far as where you prioritize your your kind of mental energy, right? Um, but I, I think that the other thing was that I I had talked with a lot of other trans women, right? And the older trans woman that I was talking to really advised me, like, you know, you gotta be able to take care of yourself. No one else is going to take care of you, right? So that kind of was very much an incentive of, I had a goal, right? I knew that at the time that no health insurance was going to cover my medical transition. I knew that that was a thing that I wanted. So, you know, that that was kind of the prize I was aiming for. And I knew that that I was going to have to earn and have saved away $20,000.
0: And then what do you think? So the key there, you think that someone else can take away from that is, is kind of making a way, even when there isn't a way.
1: Yeah, right. Like you have to think about what do you have, right? What can what can you leverage and have a goal in mind, I would say, right? You know, having a goal in mind definitely helps you keep an eye on what's important and what's not important.
0: And talk to me a little bit about saving enough money to buy a home. Why is that important? And why was that important to, to, to your story in getting to becoming a millionaire?
1: Yeah, so long story short, I got through two years of college, which my grandparents, bless their heart, paid for even though my biological parents were not friendly. My grandparents paid for my first two years of college, but I dropped out um, because I realized that I wasn't going to have the money to finish college, right? That Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go into a bunch of debt. And you know, I know that for a lot of people, it's important to take on some kinds of good debt. But in my case, I I wanted to avoid being in debt as much as possible. Um, so that meant that I went, I dropped out of school, I went looking for a job, and I had uh, I had a job offer from Google and from Facebook and from the game company that I was interning at for a couple of years. And I had just also uh, gotten all of my own medical transition needs done and I you know set my sights on what's my next goal here right you know I'm not just gonna accumulate all this money and then you know spend 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 it right like what's my next goal and for me that goal was that I wanted to have a place that was my own right like I wanted to have a place that I could be secure in that I knew that would kind of always be mine as long as I wanted it so so I started saving the money that I was now getting from Google, which was now coming in at a faster rate, thanks to, you know, not, it not being a small uh, game studio. And I wound up uh, I wound up deciding to look outside the Bay Area as well. Um, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I knew that I would never be able to afford a house there, that mm. it was just too unaffordable. Um, so I moved to Boston. Um and I moved to Boston and actually bought a house there kind of in, in you know, I didn't rent, rent for a while because I knew what that city was like. I knew the neighborhoods. I knew roughly where I wanted to live. So I actually found a really perfect house. And I, the federal government has a really interesting program, even for people that don't tend to take on kind of conventional forms of debt, like a credit card or a car loan. Um, it's called the, uh, it's called an FHA loan. And with an FHA loan, it's a kind of it's an interesting financial thing where you don't necessarily get vetted on your credit score. You get vetted on how reliable you've been in paying like your utility bills or right like any kind, any kind of regularly recurring bill. So it's not something that's limited only to people who have you know taken out a bunch of credit cards and so forth. Um, and the other cool thing about it was that it was 3.5 percent down, not like 20 percent down. So. You know, I was able to get in on the housing market in 2009, and it was actually right after the bust. So the like, housing was pretty affordable. It was actually about the same amount of money in total as I had been spending on rent for a one-bedroom studio in, in Silicon Valley. For that, I was able to get a mortgage on a five-bedroom house in 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 Boston. Wow.
0: Do you think that could happen today? Maybe not in Boston, but in some city. That if someone is living in New York or San Francisco or somewhere, and they want to get into, they want to own a home. Should they? Do you suggest that they move to another city and and. Stop renting. I mean, I guess it can't be across the board for everybody. Everybody has their own thing, but yeah,
1: everyone has their own factors. But yeah. in my case, that was the path for me to be able to become a homeowner because right. I knew that you know without having without you know taking out a credit card, I was not going yeah. to be able to get a home any other way. So.
0: And why was home ownership so important?
1: Because I was looking at this money that was flowing out of my bank account every single month, right, and it was going to the corporate landlord um, yeah. and in Silicon Valley, and I was like, you know what? That's $2,400 a month, right? Like, you know, if I took out a mortgage, then it would be, you know, maybe $800 a month in interest, and but like $1,600 a month into my own pocket, right, into yeah. the principal in my house.
0: Yeah, really so. cool. Okay, and so what happened then?
1: Um, about a year later, I met my spouse, uh, who was also a software engineer at Google. And she and I got married a year after that. Um, so then we combined our finances and that really kind of accelerated things because we had no kids. We had a a very stable stable mortgage that was not like going up in prices as the Boston housing market started going back up again, right? It meant that we had a bunch of extra money and we were able to funnel that into paying off our mortgage early.
0: Mm. And do you think it was important to find someone who kind of shared the same philosophy that you had? Were were, were you on the same page there?
1: That's where, that's where I think it's kind of interesting, right? Um, I think that my spouse had been, had grown up as part of a wealthy family. Um, And for a while, you know, we'd have, we'd literally have arguments in the grocery store aisle about, you know, Seriously, you know, are you Liz, why are you deciding between the 79 cent can of corn and this and the fifty nine cent can of corn? Like just, just pick one. Get like, come on, right. we got we got other shit to do, right? right. <laughs> and I think that's when I learned the value of the value of valuing my time, right? Yes. I, I think that's something that I needed to learn and that I learned from her. But conversely, I think that, you know, she learned a lot of financial discipline from me, right? You know, in terms of thinking about, you know, roughly what does her budget look like in terms of thinking about... (laughs) funny story um she was so madly in love with me that like she started like spending all of her time at my house uh, at, like within a couple months after we met yeah so badly that she forgot to pay her rent and she turned <laughs> she turned up at her apartment to find a notice on the door saying hey like pay your rent or else yeah because you know when she went to collect her mail and she was like oh my god right <laughs> wow
0: well she's experienced now what uh, i have experienced many times but yeah for different reasons
1: yeah for different reasons for sure right um But I think the thing that was interesting was that Ellie also taught me to be a much more generous person, right? Like, Mm. in terms of, like, I used to be that awful person every single wave wave staff hated, right? You know, I'd give maybe a 10 or 12% tip, right? Yeah.
0: And why Um, were you doing that, do you think? Because, because you're cheap, or because you were scared to lose. Because it? I was scared to spend more
1: money than I had to. Right? Yeah. I was stuck in this scarcity mentality. Yeah. That you know maybe was appropriate when I when I was had a when I was in Thailand and had a hundred dollars left in my bank account. Right. Yeah. Having spent the other twenty thousand on the surgery. Right. Right. <laughs> but you know it was not appropriate when I you know was already a half millionaire. Right. Yeah. So and you're uh,
0: out. And uh, my thing is, if you're out you know no, no matter what like even when I was my brokest if I'm going to go out and use the services of a of a waiter waitress uh, wait staff you you tip and, yeah, and yeah. that's part of it and so you you were able to learn that over time with your spouse yeah that's great yeah
1: yeah so you know she taught me to to be more generous right yeah so I think that that was kind of a really cool combination of kind of getting on the same page over time by getting to know each other and like
0: yeah yeah. And so you were able to pay off the house much faster than you would have yeah. if, if you hadn't been so disciplined and strategic with yeah. it. So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters. And I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun and they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing no gotcha pricing and a ux that developers around the world love you can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business we all need more time so that's not all they want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud if you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at do.co/slash backstage. That's do.co/slash backstage backstage. You were still at Google at this time? Yep,
1: I was still at Google. Although, interestingly enough, during some of that, um, as I mentioned before, I dropped out of school. Um, but, you know, I knew I didn't want to incur a bunch of student debt. So I waited until I had the money, my spouse and I had the money for me to afford afford to go back to school. Um, so I went back to school for two years uh, and worked part-time at Google, uh, which was a rare thing, but we managed to make it work. Um, So that, you know, that was another place that we invested money was in my education, right? Once we had the ability to pay for it.
0: And how important do you think that was? uh, Sharpening your skills, investing in yourself in that way?
1: I think that it's hard to put a number on it, right? Like, you know, I was definitely, I was definitely a software engineer who who was making six figures, right? But I think that definitely the network of people that I met at MIT when I went back to school was really, really important. I think that having that having that name on your resume really, really matters as far as getting subsequent job positions. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that I wanted to do it for my own needs, right? That there were bits of computer science that I knew that I was not being as effective at as if I actually understood it. So I knew that I wanted to go back and learn that. So, I think that that kind of gave me confidence in a lot of ways to kind of reach up for those higher levels, whereas before I felt, you know, like I was an imposter, I didn't really belong, that I was just skating by, you know, this person without a degree, like, you know, how did I get here, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think that was holding me back in a bunch of ways that I think that actually getting that piece of paper solved.
0: So, at Google, you started climbing the ranks? Is that how it worked? And and when, with those new positions came higher and higher salaries. I'm assuming. See, I'm getting it all in your business. Yeah, this is what this is. Yeah. <laughs> so it became higher, higher and higher salaries. Not just salaries, stock.
1: The stock part is really, really important.
0: Mm, talk a little bit about that.
1: Um, at Silicon Valley companies, right? The at lower levels, you know, the stock that you get is maybe 15 or 20 percent of your salary uh, per per year. Yeah. But over time, it winds up becoming a larger and larger number. The longer you stay at a company, the higher your your rank. Like it's not a thing that goes up at the same rate as your salary; it goes up even higher. Like at the by the time I left Google, um, my stock was easily double what I was making in salary.
0: So it started as something like fifteen to twenty percent, yeah, and it became over a few years two hundred percent. Yes, and so. Uh, For anyone who isn't familiar with how that works, why was that a game changer?
1: That was a game changer because, you know, they, they tell you, regardless of what school financial discipline you're in, right, like that you shouldn't count on the money that you get from your stock, that you shouldn't, that you should only live off of what your salary is, right? Right. But that means that all of that excess money that you're getting from your stock, you wind up... You know, figuring out okay, where am I investing it? Where am I? Where am I saving up? Where am I storing it? And in in our case, it wound up being uh, in into our home initially, uh, using the money from our salaries to put the maximum into our four hundred and one ks, and then starting to think about you know how do we for, how do we give back to the community?
0: Right. right? So let's talk about four hundred and one ks just for a second. Yeah. How, how important is it to we, a lot of us know about 401ks if we're, in, if we're in the startup world or if we're at corporations. I've known about 401ks since I was probably 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you, you have that option to, to, uh, for your employer to match or to, match, to double, yeah. to double yeah. whatever it is. A lot of people, especially younger people, especially, you know, I early on didn't understand how valuable that could be. Because it just looks like you're taking some of my money and I need that money now. So yeah. how does a 401k work? Give me an example of how it works a few years in.
1: Yeah, so I think that for people who are making a software engineer salary, right, you know, that it becomes less daunting to put the maximum per year yep. into your 401k, right? That if you're making 50000 a year, you know, of course, you're probably not going to be able to afford to put 17000 into into your 401k. But if you're making 100000 then yes, that looks much more feasible
0: right
1: yeah. um and your employer may or may not match it but either way right it can you it comes out of your paycheck before the taxes are taken out and then it grows without the inter, without the uh, without the capital gains tax right so it's kind of this huge thing if you start on it early you know five thousand here ten thousand here it may not seem like a lot but you know after 10 years of doing that right yeah. you know it's kind of a way of forcing yourself to save. You know, and it can also help you. Right. Like in that when I went to buy that house in 2009, I had some money in my 401k already saved up just from a year working at Google. And I took a 401k loan and then I just paid it right back within 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 a year.
0: Right. Because it's basically you're borrowing from yourself. Yeah. You're you're borrowing from yourself and the employer who maybe matched it.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. You're borrowing from yourself, and as long as you pay it back promptly, there's no penalty on it, right? So it's kind of, you can use it under select circumstances to uh, as a emergency relief if you need yeah. it, right? It's not just for your retirement only. You can use it to kind of fast-forward a bunch of other things. That's right.
0: I know Christy Pitts, at uh, backstage, she did the same thing. She used it to put the down payment on her home, her first home that she bought. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a big deal when you're, you're starting... And I think she, you know, the difference between the two of us, I remember we talked about this, is that her father insisted on it when she was 18 or something like that, insisted and she didn't understand it. And I just didn't know it until very, you know, much later in life. And But the the good news is I'm 38. I'm now uh, contributing to the 401k at Backstage. and. It isn't too late. It's not too late. It's not too late if you're 50. It's not too late if you're 20. It's, uh, It's really cool, actually, how much it has accumulated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the message that I would send is like, you know, this is not just for if you're 20. This is not just 40 years down the road. Right. It can help you in other ways Mm -hmm. along the way, even in the worst case. Right. That money isn't gone. Right. Like you just pay you. You can still get it. You'll just pay an IRS penalty. Right. Like, you know, if the difference is that and going bankrupt, you know, I would I would pay the penalty in order to to get access to that money. Right. Don't do it unless it's an emergency, but it's there.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit because at this point we're going to assume I'm not going to get way into your business but we'll we'll assume you've you've reached the million you're probably well beyond that because of really strategic, you know, saving, and then compounding your, your, um, your assets, basically, by the the decisions you've made, and then sort of becoming power couple, you know, joining forces with another bad, (laughs) I I don't know if that's okay to say, but like joining forces, right? And then, um, and so like, you know, people are taking notes, this is this is how you do it. And then you, so now you're you're young, you are wealthy, you're successful. There's a couple things going on at this point. Now you're, you're deciding about how you're going to spend that money or get gift that money or invest that money. But you're also having a very public uh, fight with your employer. Yeah. Right. So w- w- give me a little uh, indication of the timing of these two things.
1: I think it was really interesting that part of how I got to the place where Google was giving me twice my salary in stock was because at the time in 2015, Google appreciated what I was doing in terms of channeling dissent within the company and helping Google's leadership hear about things earlier than they otherwise would have. And that was the thing that they wanted to reward. And then four years later, they no longer wanted to reward that. And I think that that was a very staggering change, right? That in 2015, Google's leadership saw that I was having an outsized impact on the company and they wanted to recognize it, right? That even though I hadn't formally gotten a a job title that said, you know, I was a senior staff something or other, right? They were paying me like I was one because they recognized the value to the company. Yeah. But then somewhere along the way, you know, I, I think, um, two things happened, right? Google's leadership decided to stop listening to employees, but also that because of the earlier decisions that Google's leadership had made to reward me for the work that I'd done, right? You know, I was in a position to be able to speak freely knowing that, you know, I, I wouldn't have to work unless I wanted to, yeah. right? So I, I had the freedom to walk away and I ultimately did.
0: Yeah. And so, um, You can do a lot of research uh, on Liz's work, um, advocating, uh, give a, give a a synopsis of what you were advocating for at at Google and other places.
1: I think in a sentence or two, what I was doing was advocating for the needs of marginalized communities, whether it be marginalized employees, whether it be marginalized customers or bystanders, right, in terms of. This big artificial intelligence bus is coming, right? Who's it going to run over, right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. how how do we stop that from happening, right? So, I was trying to be that voice of saying, "Hold on a minute, what do we need to do differently in order to not further hurt these marginalized communities that don't necessarily have that same seat at the table I do, right?"
0: Right, you're sounding the alarm. Yeah, and it's. It's funny. Just recently, Ev Williams uh, (laughs) he he tweeted (laughs) he tweeted uh, something to the effect of "Had I known." Yeah, I
1: I saw it, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" You had people telling you, and you refused to listen. So, For
0: context, he said, "And you probably have heard it by now. It's probably blown up by this point. If you're hearing this, (laughs) but um, uh, for context, he, he tweeted." Just very recently, had I known that people who didn't look like me were going through some tough things at Twitter or, or, you know, the people that were on the platform, we probably would have done a better job at protecting them or something to that effect. And and it was part of a long thread of a lot of interesting, um, thoughtful um, words uh, and sentiment. But that's that's the tweet that's like really sticking out because so many people are calling foul on that and saying you were told... How could you Right, exactly. Know? Right,
1: it's not about whether you're told or not. It's whether you give marginalized people a seat at the table.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's what happened in my case, right? You know, I used to have a seat at the table, and then they kicked me out from that they seat, at, that seat at the table, up. and they said, "You know what? We don't, we don't need you here anymore." And I was like, "Okay."
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk about then the work you do now with that that wealth that you have built for yourself. First of all, what do you invest in? What is your thesis?
1: Yeah, so I think there are a couple of themes to this, one of which is, right, no one becomes a multimillionaire without choosing to, right? Like, you can choose to give away your money before you become worth $5 million or $10 million, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that it would be horrendous for me to accumulate a bunch of wealth and just keep it all to myself rather than using it for the good of the community, right? Because for every person like me, you know, there, there are plenty of people who are struggling. So how do I effectively help people who are struggling who are from the trans community and especially from trans communities of color? That's what all of my investing and, and donating is about is how do I both help cultivate kind of the next generation of trans folks to survive but thrive as well to also be able to kind of give back to the community? Yeah.
0: So we want to give a couple of examples of what you've invested in. And and I guess you you are a philanthropist, as you said earlier, and an investor. So maybe a combination of...
1: Yeah, so I tend to aim to spend my money in order to maximize the impact. Um, And sometimes that means giving donations, you know, in the six figures to organizations like the National Center for Transgender Equality, which I sit on the board of, um, where they advocate in Washington, D.C. to, to legislative bodies, to the executive branch, um, in order to ensure that trans people's rights are protected, right? And I think that that's a voice that's very important to have because if you're not being heard in Capitol Hill, then- you know, people who are going to be making decisions about you without knowledge of who you are.
0: Right. You might as well not exist if if someone's not representing you in their eyes. In their eyes, you might yeah.
1: So kind of in the nonprofit world, I focus really on on three things with regard to defending trans people. Right. The first of which is legislation. The second of which is lawsuits, right? You know where the law is treating us unjustly. You know, no, no amount of arguing before before a, dead, a deadlocked uh, co- Congress and and uh, an executive branch is going to work, right? So legislation, litigation, and then finally, I also focus on direct aid. Um, so I mm-hmm. focus on organizations like Trans Lifeline, which is a both a suicide and crisis hotline for trans folks. Um, And then, you know, in the litigation front, I give a lot of money to the Transgender Law Center, which funds litigation to, for instance, get trans people who are detained by ICE released from custody.
0: And do you look at that every year and say, I'm going to, there's this portion of, of budget that's going to go into philanthropy and there's a portion that's going to go into investing?
1: I don't necessarily look at it that way. I instead kind of set a total budget for all, for all of those projects combined. And then I look to see what's going to have the most impact, right?
0: That's really important to you, the impact, the 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 waves, the ripple effect.
1: Yeah, right. Like, you know, I think we're at a very critical moment for trans communities of color. And I think that, you know, if my spouse and I and other trans folks really step up and allies really step up, right? Like, if we spend anywhere between like you know not a large amount like maybe 10 million dollars like i think 10 million dollars is the amount of money that we need to spend over the next over the next 5 to 10 years in order to really change the progress of of trans rights really drive it in the in the right direction
0: 10 million dollars over the next 5 to 10 years you think would completely change the pro- t- the trajectory yes Wow, that's in, that's really important, and you're you're contributing a great deal of that, but you don't want to do it on your own. We you don't can't, want to do it, our do it on our own, own,
1: and that's why a lot of our giving has been structured as matching campaigns because we yeah. really want to encourage people to chip in.
0: Yeah, that's so. That's actually br- really brilliant and awesome, and I think we rarely when we when when someone who you know, the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I haven't reached my first million yet. And that, yep. this is the journey that I'm on. I will soon, but I'm I'm on that journey. And so sometimes when we hear about philanthropy, we think, okay, that's, that's money. And it's really nice. And it's going, it's going, it's going somewhere and it's going to be helpful right now. But what does it mean in a year from now? What does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's
1: why, that's why I don't give to the ACLU. They, okay. ACLU has plenty of people that it is plenty of name recognition. They have plenty of Plenty of money, right? Like you know, I I think much more about organizations where you know giving them even five or ten thousand dollars has a huge impact, right? It's kind of the incremental change by my dollars. So that's that's what I measure by.
0: Do you think people who are uh, contributing to the ACLU should still do so? Do you think that they don't merit? Uh, investment?
1: I think that, you know, if it's a choice between not giving at all and giving to the ACLU, people should continue giving to the ACLU. But I think that if you're looking for places to put new charitable contribution money, yeah. I think there are a lot of places that are far better impact per dollar spent.
0: Yeah, just a little Googling, as it were. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you and I think
1: that that's the, that's the thing. Like, if you're going to search for one thing, uh, I would search for something called effective altruism. Effective altruism Mm -hmm. is kind of a thing that really shaped my thinking about how I both invest and make donations. So you know that's that's how I've been looking at it. Is you know like these these trans orgs, right? They both both the transgender law center and the national center for transgender equality. Each of those orgs has a budget of maybe like you know anywhere between two to five million dollars a year. That's that's all they run on, right? Like. Oh. They they run very, very lean. Yeah. And you can imagine that just, you know, a increase of just an increase of 10 percent in their budget. Right. Like, you know, that's not very much money and yeah. yet it would have a huge
0: impact. Wow. OK, so you you do that and a wonderful list. And that's, you know, I think we'll all go look those up, too, because, you know, five dollars can can help if if thousands of us do it.
1: Yeah. Although I think one interesting thing there is that for people who don't benefit as much from tax write-offs, um, the 501c4s are more interesting to give to because they're less restricted in what they can do, right? The hmm. 501c4 can engage in political in much more political campaign based spending in a way that a 501c3 can't. So if you are, you know, if you're taking the standard deduction give to the C4, not to the C3, because the C4 is the one that can actually support political candidates. Mm. Whereas the C3 can only do issue advocacy, but not actually, you know, advocate for someone who goes against the issues that you care about to to get, uh, to get not get re-elected.
0: And then on the investment side, would you say that there are two prongs to, to what you do, or is there a third that I am missing?
1: On the investment side, I'm looking for things where... My money is right. it's similar to to matching, right in this in the sense that I think about how does you know, given that I'm not getting a tax deduction for it, right, you know, How do I multiply the effect of my money? Because when you give to a charitable 501c3 organization, you kind of get that built in, you know, whatever your marginal tax rate is. In my case, it's like 45%, right? It kind of, my money goes 45% further, even if no one else is donating along with me. So I have to look harder at the for-profit sector, right? But I think in a lot of cases, I'll talk about uh, Tall Poppy. Uh, For instance, Tall Poppy is a startup that was founded by my friend Lee Honeywell, and she is focused on solving the problem of online harassment. And the way that she's doing it is interesting. She's solving it by getting workplaces to think about harassment online as a workplace safety issue, that they are at legal risk unless they support their employees. And that, therefore, in the same way that they take out, uh, in the same way that they take out workers' comp insurance, they should also take out insurance against their employees getting harassed. Mm. Right. So I saw, I looked, and I saw that, and I was like, the business model makes perfect sense. And right, if I put in, I wound up investing two hundred thousand dollars in it because this is an issue that's very, very personal for me. Right. Yeah. Where I know this space well, unfortunately, and I know that Lee is in the right position, that Lee and Logan are in the right position to solve this. Right. I looked and I said, "You know what? My two hundred thousand dollars here, right? It's not just going to get matched one, once over. It's going to get matched many times over because corporations are going to pay for the service, right? Mm-hmm. That I can get corporations to wind up easily, like tripling the amount, the amount of inflow of money yeah. into into solving this problem.
0: When you look at the the big picture and the future, yeah." Um, I like this again, I like this idea of of over five to ten years spending X amount of money to do yep. Y. So what does that look like if you had to summarize it? What will you continue to do? What will what will success look like to you as an investor and philanthropist?
1: I think what success looks like to me is I look forward to the day that I don't have a trans crowdfund um, crossing my Twitter stream every, every five minutes, right? Mm. Where, where I don't wind up having to see trans people struggling every single day, right? Mm-hmm. Where there is a sufficiently strong social safety net. One of the things that the executive director of NCT says is that, like, the number one issue facing trans people in the U.S. today is poverty, like yeah. anything that addresses poverty is is going to help a tremendous number of trans folks and help them focus on uh, on the things that are more important to them.
0: So if to to start to wrap up, if there's someone listening who kind of reminds you of yourself at a at a different age, what do you, what, what can you tell them um that'll help them get to where you are, do you think? Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think part of why this is such a tricky moment is that this is an inflection point, right? I think that things are both better and worse than they were for me uh, 15 years ago. Mm. And, you know, I think that it's important to take advantage of the things that are working in your favor, right? You know, I think that it's important to, you know go go to your planned parenthood right you know go 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 get whatever treatment you feel is going to help you if that's if that's your your thing right mm-hmm. um you know take advantage of that while it's there um mm-hmm. and then focus that energy instead on right like you know in- instead of focusing your your energy on like oh my god it, you know I hope I don't get busted for it, or <laughs> I I'm not sure I have a more coherent message I'm just trying to think this through right like you know yeah, sure. I I was um <sighs> when I, when I was a teenager, I, I had to think about, you know, how am I going to get my hormones right? You know, ordering them through, (laughs) through, through the mail order pharmacy from, from a foreign country. Right. And I think that it's great that that's a problem that trans people don't have to face today for the, for the most part. Right. And I think that in some ways things are better, right. And in some ways things are worse, right. The curse of having people know about trans people is that there's a lot more discrimination but there's also a lot more awareness right <clears throat> so I'm not sure what got me to hear is going to help other people get to hear
0: it seems to me that you were um you were driven by first advocating for yourself mm-hmm. and then advocating for others and yeah. if you know if, you, if I listen to your full story if there weren't others for you to um to advocate for it, you may not have gotten to this point of of success. You would have gotten very far, but I think that um, that in itself is really inspiring. And that's what I'm trying to get to is that um, you know sometimes it can feel hopeless at, at mm. different ages, and and uh, you know not just not just super young. It can feel hopeless at a yeah. different a lot yeah. of different places. But what I've found is that once I real like it clicked in my head that the, everything that I do is about Others is a, in service to others. Hmm. And in order to do that, um, I have to take really good care of myself so that I'm, per, you know, right. Able exactly. To okay.
1: I'm really liking what I kind of that idea of putting on your own oxygen mask first, yeah, right? Like yeah, making for sure. sure that you're able to take care of yourself. And, you know, not necessarily take care of yourself by yourself, but, like, building the right support network and community for Mm -hmm. you,
0: right? Yeah, and this is why I think it's so fascinating that some people don't like to talk about money or making money. Some people feel guilty about making money or being wealthy. This is... You know, I've had people apologize to me for being white, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, use your privilege. Don't apologize to me. Use it It's you know, as long as you're using it for good. And that's, this is a wonderful example of that is that you now have this wealth, this personal wealth. And like you said, you could have gone a different way. It could have just been like, let me get a bunch of toys and let me just play. But, right, exactly. but it, you
1: know, I could have chosen to become worth $5 million. I'm not because yeah. I choose to give my money away yeah. and to so invest it and stand in the community. Yes.
0: Yeah. So so and I do
1: expect to see a return eventually, but you know, I know that returns are measured in the five to ten year time
0: frame. Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, to, in my in my view, you're worth far more than five million by doing so. So I really appreciate what you're doing. How can people follow you on social media, learn more about what you do? Which website, etc.
1: Um, I am at Liz the Gray. Uh, spelled with an E as opposed to an A. Sorry, Brits. Um, <laughs> Liz the Grey. Yeah. At, on Twitter and also at LizTheGrey.com.
0: What does Liz the Grey mean?
1: Uh, it's a L- old Lord of the Rings reference to uh, Gandalf.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Did, were you like a, a Game of Thrones fan? No,
1: not, no, not Game of Thrones. Are
0: they different? I they see, are completely it's like different. Star Wars and Star Trek. Get mad. <laughs> I don't know. I'll learn. I'll learn. Okay, cool. So Liz the Grey... On Twitter and where you're where you're very active and where you can learn, and then the website. And do you have some st- sort of application process for if someone is running an, a nonprofit or or are you? Is it you kind of look out and you find it yourself?
1: I tend to look and find things. Um, however, I also tend to talk to a wide range of people. You know, just feel free to tweet at me. I'll, yeah, I'll take a look at things.
0: Awesome, that's really cool. Thank you so much for being here and for talking to me about this. Yeah. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen Was Here. That's A-R-L-A-N Was Here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. Thank you again to Digital Ocean for sponsoring this episode. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of Your First Million, get in touch with me. Um, Right now, it's super easy to do so. You just email me at arlenhamilton at gmail. That's A-R-L-A-N-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and i'll give you some more information um this is a really highly engaged audience really really uh, educated either through traditional means, or through grit and tenacity, or a little bit of both, and uh, yeah, these are the people you want to be talking to. You got you got aspiring founders. You've got in the trenches founders. You've got aspiring angel investors and active angel investors. You've also got venture capitalists. You've also got limited partners. And then you have people who are listening in to learn all about what all of that means. And so it's a really interesting group of people. Check it out. Thank you again, Digital Ocean, for sponsoring. Your First Million is produced and edited by Anna Eichenauer and senior producer Brian Landers. Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook-Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer Arlen Hamilton.